I could get a thousand more book deals or I can get none. I'm not entitled to it. And I hope I get many more chances to tell my stories. But the only thing I can do and the only thing I control as an author is to write a great story. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Derek Chow is an author, illustrator, and comic creator. His short stories have been featured in several comic anthologies, and his illustrations appear in newspapers, magazines, and books across North America. His debut middle-grade horror novel, Ravenous Things, from Disney Hyperion, is out now. So please welcome Derek to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. So today we're going to talk about your journey to publication, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. So when did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long from then did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Yeah, um, I'd say my interest in storytelling pretty much goes back to childhood. Before I even knew authors existed and that they wrote stories, I'm a person who was always interested in drawing pictures and making comics and also writing little stories. So storytelling is definitely something I did like as a hobby in, in kindergarten or um, any sort of school assignment I was given. If there was the opportunity to make it some sort of form of art that was me telling a story, I gravitated towards that. So I'd say by the time I hit elementary school and learned that authors and artists were actual people who had a job, I started to aspire to that at a a pretty early age. All right. And when did you start getting serious about publication? In high school was when I really started to think about, oh, being an author and getting published is something I can do. I didn't really write the first novel that I thought was would be able to be published until um, I had graduated from university. Okay. So how did you learn more about the publishing industry, like how it works, how to query, how to go about everything? Yeah, that was um, definitely very eye-opening for me because when I started on my publishing journey, I, I first started with just writing a story I wanted to write. And so that was a few years undertaking, and it's it's not the novel that is published now. It's not Ravenous Things. It's another trunk novel, which I'm sure a lot of authors could could relate to. And um, I didn't think anything about the actual business, about agents. I had no idea how it worked. So once I finished writing that first novel, I went and to the bookstore and looked at all of the like Writer's Digest, publication magazines I could find, also a lot of internet searching. Ultimately, it was um, a combination of really informative podcasts like this, this type of podcast, and also YouTube videos. I think that is where I found the most kind of relatable advice from, you know, doled to me from friendly voices and friendly faces. And um, that made it a much less mysterious, intimidating process to undertake. Nice. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? Yeah. Um, so that first novel I'm, I'm referring to, that one never went anywhere. I never actually submitted that widely mm-hmm. to agents. At the time, I was already a professional illustrator. So I was doing illustrations for picture books and also a lot of textbooks and newspapers and magazines. So um, I did have an editorial illustration agent who also 
got me into a lot of children's textbooks and picture books. So she wasn't a literary agent, but I kind of mentioned to her that I had an interest in writing prose and had written a novel. So she said, well, I could you know, use my contacts and maybe show it around to a few editors I have uh, that she had a relationship with. Um, so that never really went anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, a number of years after that, when uh, that agent had actually retired, I had my idea for Ravenous Things. So once I finished writing Ravenous Things, um, that's when I was much more serious about finding out how to get an agent. That's where reading articles and watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts really came into play. And then I just started doing the cold calling or cold emailing of agents. Um, I think I started my first batch with about 12 agents. Um, and I had some good feedback at first from that. I had a few requests for partials, which led to requests for fulls. And interestingly, the agent that I ended up signing with was in that first round, Tao Lei. So, yeah. Nice. I like that you are talking about your illustration agent and how she reached out to her contacts. And nothing really came out of it because a lot of times I feel like writers think that if they have a referral, you know, they're golden. And it seems like you know, that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely... And then you ended up getting your agent and eventually your book contract through cold courting. Exactly. Yeah, I think that is a very important lesson for authors to learn. And it was a good lesson for me to learn. You know, now looking back at the first novel that I wrote, I realized you know, there were a lot of good ideas in it. But first of all, it was way too long. It was a 110,000 word middle grade oh. fantasy. That's that's <laughs> a lot grade. for, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot, especially for a debut author. Maybe if I was a big mm-hmm. name, you know, that could work. But um, so, I mean, it was just a, a great way for me just to sort of um, flirt with the idea of showing my work to another person, which was terrifying, which I'm sure a lot of um, authors can relate to as well. Um, that's a step that takes a lot of moral courage to just, just to stand up and like, hey, I think maybe this is okay. Can you read it? So, I, th- I still think it was a valuable experience, even though nothing came of that first novel. Yeah. So once you signed with your agent, did you do a revision or did you go out on submission? Yeah. So it was an interesting process there where, so that my agent, first she did a, a revise and resubmit before actually mm-hmm. agreeing to sign with me. And um, I did that. And uh, then there was actually a second revise and resubmit. So after, yeah, so after that second round, the novel was quite polished by that point. So once I signed with her, um, she started to take out on submission. So it was a pretty uh, fast process. So she took it out to the various editors she thought would connect with it. And I was very lucky in that there were two publishing houses interested in it. So that ended up becoming an auction, which is a really interesting process. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up going with Disney Hyperion, and I'm so glad I placed Ravenous Things with them. The editors I worked with there, Kieran Viola and Cassidy Landecker, were so wonderful. They really understood what my story was about, and they gave me such great feedback that made my story stronger. So that's definitely an important part of being in something like an auction. It's not just about the things in the contract or money. It's also about deciding which editor you think you're going to work the best with and which will help you deliver the best work. All right. It is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your query letter for us? Yes, I can. Dear Taole, I would like you to consider The Rats of St. Patrick Station, my middle grade horror novel. This re-envisioning of The Pied Piper of Hamelin 
will be especially terrifying for kids who are afraid of changeling rats, the dark, or strangers who make improbable promises. The manuscript is complete at 58,200 words. I am sending this to you because of your interest in fairy tales that have been given a new spin and in books featuring protagonists of color. 12-year-old Reggie Wong isn't happy. He spends most of his afternoons at the cemetery, talking to thin air like some kind of freak. At home, his mom is an emotional wreck who cries all the time and never leaves their apartment. And at school, his quick temper is always getting him into trouble. That's why Reggie desperately needs his dad back. One problem, his dad is dead. Enter the conductor, a peculiar man who promises to make Reggie's impossible wish come true. All he has to do is climb aboard the man's subway train, which leaves St. Patrick's Station promptly at midnight. Reggie takes him up on the offer and discovers the train is filled with children who have each lost a loved one too, just like him. As it speeds through the wild, uncharted tunnels beneath Toronto, Reggie meets Chantal, an annoying girl obsessed with stuffed unicorns and psychiatry, and Gareth, his arch-nemesis since fourth grade. At the end of the line, Reggie steps off the train and into the backyard from his childhood home. His dad is there, alive and well. Somehow, his impossible wish has come true, but he soon discovers all is not as it seems. He has been ensnared in a deadly trap. With the help of his unlikely new friends, he must find a way to foil the conductor's diabolical plot, which involves conversational beetles, a musical blimp, predatory darkness, and an infestation of epic proportions. The rats of St. Patrick's Station have taken over, and they're absolutely ravenous. I am an illustrator whose art appears in children's books, newspapers, and magazines. Also, I have a Bachelor of Arts in English and Visual Studies from the University of Toronto. Pasted below are the first 12 pages of my manuscript and a synopsis. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So how has your experience been since signing that contract? Especially let us know if there's anything about publishing that surprised you along the way. Yeah, um, largely it's been an overwhelmingly positive experience. I already mentioned working with the editors at Disney was really a joy. They gave so much feedback that led to new chapters, new character beats that really strengthened my novel in a way I hadn't initially envisioned. Also, the process of meeting young readers at book signings and at readings has been really such a joy, especially since when I was the age this book is intended for when I was in middle grade. It was definitely a very difficult period in my life. There was a lot of trauma in it. And reading was my way of escaping that trauma and getting some sense of strength and agency. So I really hope my novel does that for young kids. So I really love meeting readers. Definitely when I think about the process, there, there have been a lot of surprises along the way and things that I wish I had known about when I started off my journey. So I'd, I'd love to you know, tell your listeners um, about that. So one thing that I definitely have struggled a bit with is kind of the, the, the feeling of a lot more, for lack of a better term, noise in my professional life mm -hmm. than I used to. And I, I don't want to say that in a pejorative way because so much of this quote unquote noise has been positive, right? So you know, getting emails from friends or strangers telling me they read my book and that they liked it. That's definitely, you know, great. But there's just a lot more interaction than I had just merely as an illustrator doing illustrations for, you mm. know, magazines or picture books. Um, or 
you know, things that I love doing, like interviews like this for podcasts or um, going on book panels. I, I don't want to stop doing that. But suddenly there's a lot more of that where you have to, you know, read emails and answer emails and kind of you have to be <laughs> your own your own assistant. You know, you got to sift through, hey, do I want to do this or do I not want to do that? And, you know, certainly I'm I'm not a big huge famous author i'm sure it's a thousand times more stressful for them but even for my for my debut experience the amount of requests and questions and um, interacting with with people and and marketing teams there's just a lot and i have to admit it, it took me a little while to equalize and to find out kind of what i needed to be able to do what is the most important, which is right, because of course I'm I'm working in other uh, works and other pitches, and I'm realizing for myself personally as an author, I need a certain amount of like quietitude and feeling almost disconnected. You know, when I'm really in the thick of a project, I tend to like avoid social media. I tend to not talk to my friends. I tend to not watch a lot of movies, TV shows, uh, I kind of need that sense of being quiet. And that can be difficult when you can't do that anymore, because you still have to publicize the book that's out or, you know, uh, respond to requests from people or say, Oh, thank you. I'm glad you read my book, because you genuinely are happy to hear that. So that's something I'd love, you know, your listeners who are potentially going to be getting their first book deals this year or next year, to kind of realize you have to pace yourself and try to carve the space you need to be able to still create. And, and that was something I, I was surprised that I struggled with because I thought I wanted all of that extra noise and attention, but it, it can be more difficult than, than an author expects. Yeah, for sure. All right. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? I'm definitely an overwriter. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Nighttime, I'm, I'm a really hardcore night owl. I have weird hours. When starting with a new project, do you typically start with a character or plot or concept or something else first? Generally, for me, it's an image or a scene or a moment. Um, so, for mm. example, for Ravenous Things, you know, there, there's a lot of plot to it. There's a lot of mechanics, but it really started with the, the image of a little boy grieving the death of his father underground encountering a recreation of his childhood's home with his dad seemingly alive. And and part of the reason why that image was so strong for me was because I wrote this book while I was um, personally grieving the death of my own father. So mm. it was sort of a wish fulfillment image, but it was also incredibly creepy. So I thought, hey, there's a story here. So yeah, so definitely even for the story I'm working on now that I can't quite talk about yet, it also started with just a specific scene, an image that just felt so dynamic that I just wanted to explore the world of it. Mm -hmm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. When writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it right kind of person. I'm trying to change that <laughs> because I think I write <laughs> more slowly because of that, but I have a hard time just getting it down without tweaking it. So. Mm -hmm. What tools or software do you use to draft? I use Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Generally sequential order. Once in a blue moon, there'll be a chapter I really want to write and get down on paper, but generally in sequential order. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Hmm. I'd say I am a introverted extrovert. So uh, when I was a child, I was definitely an introvert. But now um, I'd say I 
present in social situations as an extrovert, but I still need my quiet time to recharge. All right. Now we're going to talk about the second cue. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And do you feel like you realized them or you overcame them or how did they shake out? Yeah. um, Well, I mean, one thing I didn't think about when I was trying to get a book deal, and I'm sure most of the authors listening now who want to get a book deal feel the same way, you're really generally super hyper fixated on getting an agent, getting the book deal, and that's really all you're worrying about. Um, And definitely, once I had my book deal, and especially once my book was published and out in the world this past summer, of course, your your focus as an author needs to focus on then your career and the projects beyond and the next book deal, the book deal after that. And that is definitely a type of stress that is very unique to 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 that stage um, as an author, especially if you aren't, you know, an author who is a big name who's guaranteed to have a you know twenty book career. And so that is something that you as an author need to both understand and let go of, at least for me, I had to learn that ultimately nothing is in my control. You know, I could get <laughs> a thousand more book deals or I can get none. I'm not entitled to it, you know, like, uh, and I hope I get many more chances to tell my stories. But the the only thing I can do and the only thing I control as an author is to write a great story to the best of my ability and to show it to my agent and try to get it out there. And there's a there's something kind of oddly freeing about that. Once you kind of agree to stop obsessing personally about, all right, you know, how's my book doing? Or am I gonna get another book deal? Or I'm gonna place it with this publishing house or this editor I'd like to work with. Like if you stop obsessing over that, but just obsess over the story, I find there's a lot more peace of mind in that. So I, that's something I had to learn as well. Now it's time for the third cue of the podcast. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Well, I mean, I already alluded to, I don't know if this is unusual, but it's definitely something I I would like to change. I'm not great at getting a huge amount of words on paper during, (laughs) during drafting and then going back and refining. And I hear from so many prolific authors and writing experts that say that that's the fastest and best way to draft. Don't don't worry, don't be precious, get it all down. I'm still trying to get there myself, having worked on some of the projects. It's just, it's hard for me to feel motivated to continue a project as long as a novel without kind of feeling at least that it, it looks good, that it feels good, that there's some sort of refinement to it. You know, maybe I'll never be able to change that. Sometimes being an author is accepting like what your quirk is and you know, just kind of going with it. The I guess the um, other quirk I have is I both love and hate world building. So like, I realize <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not the type of author, like I hear a lot of especially fantasy authors who say that world building is their favorite part, and they'll literally spend months just writing down notes and having a shoebox full of drawings and all the stuff. And I like creating a believable, contiguous, full of detail world. But I lose patience if I'm not actually writing the story. So I tend to need to, like, I, I come up with a basic framework and I maybe have some cool details or ideas that I know I want to include in it. But I need to start writing before I can really start to build out the world, which, yeah, often involves a lot of tweaking and recasting of scenes and rewriting. So maybe I'm giving myself more work, but like, that's the only way I can motivate myself through the long process of writing a whole novel. So I'd say those are, those are my quirks. 
When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, whatever that was for you, what kept you going and why did you stick with it? Yeah, and there definitely were a lot of points where I just lost faith in myself, you know, thought, you know, mm-hmm. this is just never going to happen to me. Like I said, there, I, I went through two revising these submits. And so th- that's both hopeful, you know, seeing an agent say that I like your work. I think this is really great. I think there's just some stuff in the second act that needs to be fixed. And But it takes a lot of patience to get through that process. And certainly at the points in my publishing process when I just was despairing that I would ever get published, I think the thing that helped, I mean, especially for me, since I also am an illustrator, so I also have another professional creative outlet, I just kind of threw myself into the other creative thing um, if I lost hope in it. And generally, if I kind of was losing hope in a prose novel project I was working on, if I kind of went to this other passion I had, which was art, whether it was a creative illustration project or something literally for work, like for a magazine or for another children's book, that generally, A, gave me fulfillment, and B, by the time I was done doing that, I would have this strong urge to go back to the novel and work on it again. So I'd say for anyone listening who's struggling, there's nothing wrong with taking a break from any given project you're on. The project is never completely done or failure unless, I don't know, you're dead, (laughs) I guess. Um, But even then, I've heard of, you know, people's novels getting published posthumously. So even then, maybe not. Yeah. um, I mean, you won't get any any royalties from that personally because you'll be dead. But still, you know, (laughs) your name will be up there. Your grandkids might be. Yeah, exactly. So take, take, take a break and do something else that gives you joy. And that generally will help you get back to a place of positivity is my advice. Nice. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you'd like to let listeners know about? So hopefully they can avoid the same one. Hmm. There is one before I signed with my agent and you know had any contact with the editors I've worked with there was a small smaller publisher that I reached out to for another project or who they reached out to me regarding another project and I ended up not working with them but there was a lot of troubling predatory and unprofessional things that I dealt with there and I've heard since then about a lot of other similar publishers or similar publishing entities that are have done predatory or scammy type things. So what I would say to authors listening is to be very careful and protective of your story before you sign on any dotted lines, before you agree to anything. Try to get an agent is, is one thing I'll say, because with this more predatory publisher I was dealing with, the person I, who I was kind of talking with was trying to pressure me out of signing with the agent that mm-hmm. I wanted to sign with. And I ended up signing with Tao Lei, who's a wonderful agent. And for for reasons that I don't think were very honest, because they knew that you know, Tao Lei is, is a great agent and we'll probably see that I shouldn't be signing with them. So that is something that could have went very, very poorly for me. I could have lost a story that I was very passionate about to a publisher I ultimately would have been unhappy being with. That is a really important thing that I, you know, I think authors should understand. It's exciting if anyone in the publishing world, big or small, shows interest in your story, but it's precious and make sure you protect yourself. So, and if you don't have an agent or can't sign with an agent who you're interested in, reach out to a publishing lawyer, talk to other authors who've published with them. Like don't, don't jump without doing a lot of research and protecting yourself first. Yeah, for sure. My day job is at a library and I teach or I plan writing workshops for people. And I see a lot of people, especially at the library who have 
signed with these kind of publishers and then regretted it. So it is very disappointing when that happens, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? I'd say the most important lesson is, it's kind of twofold. Yes, take your career and your, your writing very seriously, but also be very relaxed and chill. And that sounds almost contradictory. But so what I mean, what I mean is like, so for example, the process, like when I was going through past pages with my editors, or when I was getting feedback from the agents that, you know, asked for revised resubmit, because there, there were actually more than one agents who asked for revised resubmits, um, mm. cherish the fact that someone is giving you feedback and listen to the feedback, assimilate it, decide like, is it feedback that other people are saying is warranted. And then if you think that's the case, really put your all into going in and fixing and revising your manuscript. And then that even flows over into once you've gotten a book deal. So once I signed with Disney and I had these wonderful editors, every chance I had to get the manuscript back and give it back to them, whether it was like the editing stage or the just the past pages where it was more sort of little fine details and grammar, any chance if you think, hey, I think I can improve this scene, even if I like change the sentence or add this little thing. So like certainly run it by your editors, but try it because like ultimately once the book is published, it's there forever. And you <laughs> want to be sure that like you put your all into it. And conversely, when I say like be chill, that goes back to like, you know, what I was saying about like relinquishing or accepting that you are not going to have complete control over your career. You, you, like, you're not going to be able to decide how much marketing your publisher gives you. You're not going to be able to decide which conventions or book panels mm -hmm. are going to invite you on or which authors you'll be friends with or which publisher will give you your next deal and on and on and on. Like, and that will drive you mad if you try to keep a tight hold on it because it's impossible to. So I think the best way one can be is take the craft so seriously, listen to people, work with them, be collaborative, but then let go. I mean, you certainly like have an agent if you can and trust their advice and try to do smart moves, but you can't obsess over it because it'll just drive you crazy. So that's my mm -hmm. advice. Yeah. All right. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? Yeah, no, that's definitely something. Writing is such a solitary experience, but you're right. Like, in order to be successful and, you know, keep your sanity and also just get published, it, it takes so many people. So I've already mentioned my agent, Tao Lei, who's so wonderful and so supportive and such a collaborative agent. But also in my personal life, I really have to thank all of my like, close friends who I've known since childhood who are also thankfully like avid readers and so they make wonderful beta readers anyone who's ever read my drafts whether they were good or not whether they went on to become published um they gave me so much uh, and also my partner who i share a home with he has been so supportive and definitely i'm i know i'm very privileged to have another person i live with that i can lean on which can really make a difference when, when you're a writer and you're, you're in deadlines, you're trying to get stuff done, you have someone else that can just even do something as simple as like the dishes and get chores done. So yeah, I'd say that the, I have like a good support network is the long and short of it. And I'm very privileged for that. 
All right. Before you go, we heard about ravenous things from your query letter, but is there anything else you want to tell us about that book or any of your other projects? I think the the one takeaway I want people to to have if they're interested in reading ravenous things is it is really a creepy, scary adventure ride. <laughs> um, and so I would love people who actually, you know, like to be scared. Um, I mean, to an age appropriate level of, of, of scary. Um, also, it's a story that's not just about horror. It's so much about grief and an, it's an exploration of grief. And really, my three main characters all inhabit different stages of grief, whether it's anger or denial or just guilt. I think it's a wonderful book for, especially if there are readers or children who are dealing with grief, a great way to help mm. them process that in kind of a fun, creepy way. And I think the last thing I don't get to talk about a lot, because I'm always talking about being a writer, I was really excited. I got to do the chapter illustrations for the book. So oh, nice. the, the, now the cover illustration is done by a wonderful illustrator named Violet Tobacco. Love the cover. And the, the inside chapter illustrations were done by me. So that was just such mm. a fun process. So I hope anyone reading it takes a moment to look at it because it's kind of, I felt really lucky they allowed me to do that. Nice. Well, thank you, Derek, for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great talking about craft with um, another writer. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Derek's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about him and his books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Pound Chaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash Sarah Nicholas. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.